I'm Quill. I'm Elena. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Quill, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Hi, uh, I've been on the show a couple times before. Today, uh, day of record, is it cool if I tell people when we're recording this? Yeah. Okay. Uh, today, Tuesday, June 6th, had a very good New York Times crossword. So mm-hmm. if you have the ability to uh, to do that crossword, I recommend it. Yeah, yeah. We're recording this at, at 803 Beats. Uh, but yes, the, I was I was very impressed by the crossword construction. It wow. actually like this is a weird thing about crossword construction is that like very often the crosswords are like impressive feats of construction, but you don't notice it when you're playing or it doesn't affect the way that you actually interact with it as a as a solver, hmm. except that the constraint of the difficult construction thing they were trying to do made the rest of the clues worse. <laughs> oh, no. It did kind of mean that if you got half of today's crossword, you had the other half. Mm. That That is an interesting side effect of it. Yeah. Is it like a palindrome crossword? Oh, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll have to go find out for myself. And Elena, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? Yeah, I think today I'm going to plug cottage cheese and jam. It's a really good breakfast. Like together? Yeah. Yeah. Like if you just take like a cup of cottage cheese and put in a spoonful or two of jam. Mix them together. It's tasty. Like they used to do with yogurt. Yeah. Before they started doing that for you. But they don't sell fruit on the bottom cottage cheese cups. So you got to do it yourself. But I think that's a niche that we could start filling. We, we could if we wanted to get into cottage cheese manufacturing. I was going to ask if there's a chance that pre-packaging it could curdle the cottage cheese. But is cottage cheese already kind of curdled? What I have seen, and they usually only have like maybe three or four flavors, but there's like one or two, I don't know dairy brands if dairy comes in brands that have a cottage cheese cup that has like a separate little bucket that has some sort of like fruit preserve or something in there that you can like fold over like a little hat onto the cottage cheese once you've opened them both and they'll like mix together but they're pretty uncommon and they only come in like i said like four flavors so if you want like a cool jam and not just strawberry again you have to get your own yeah i feel like there's a there's an opening in the market Someone who wanted to make the richest people in the world happier yeah, could could really clean up. Are you saying the richest people in the world are like the dairy lobby? <laughs> I assume the sort of people who eat cottage cheese for breakfast. The kind of people who eat cottage cheese but want, want the convenience of not having to mix in jam themselves. <laughs> they're on the go. They're ready to pay extra for that. Well, those people just pay professional jam attendants to be there with an allotment of jams. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be the life. They have a jam bandolier. Yeah. Or like one of those, I, I don't know, you remember in the arcade, they had a, a coin dispenser on their belt, yeah. the attendant. They, yes. they push, push the little button in and a quarter comes out. Mm-hmm. It'd be like that, but j- jam comes out. <laughs> it's like a little squirt thing, just shoots out. Yeah, either that or like a jar. <laughs> like one of those little like tablespoon sized jars you get at like a hotel yeah mm. or or uh like the ketchup packet but with jam in it <laughs> i actually i really want to get one of those like belt coin dispensers but i want one that only dispenses quarters as far as i can tell no one sells one hmm. what do you what do you want this for i still go to arcades a lot oh cool. okay sure you can't even get one on like eBay or something. I feel like if you walk around one of those with arcade, an arcade with one of those on, people are going to think you work there, and they're going to like ask you to fix the asteroids machine. 
just pair it with your I don't work here shirt. Right. Right. Honestly, I, I've done work on a decent amount of arcade games. I probably could, but <laughs> I yeah. wouldn't do it for free. But right. uh, make them give you their quarters. Right. I found like there's coin dispensers, but there were usually like multiple types of coins and who uses right. nickels. Yeah, no, those are worthless. Yeah. So you need to get like six of them. And then chop them up to just get the column that dispenses quarters from each one and then weld them together yourself. Yeah. I could probably do that. Yeah. I, I won't, but you probably could. <laughs> You're not, not without somebody paying you. Are we ready to start on some topics? Yeah, let's get to some topics. Sure. My topic is human pudding and why popular media can't depict bad art, only bad taste. Okay. Human pudding is a band, a fictional band from the fictional TV show Full House. Uh, and they only exist... So that John Stamos can like look annoyed that the kids these days like this crap. Right. But they they cast this band and they put instruments on the kids and they had the mime singing this song. I think they actually shout the words, but like. Yeah, there's not really singing. Right. But then that's dubbed over um, the pretty generic like keyboard rock mm -hmm. backing track. And that keyboard rock backing track is not absolutely not what those kids the music those kids would make with those instruments right the uh, young the excruciatingly hip human pudding <laughs> It's quantized, it's perfectly on beat, and it's it's too nice. Mm -hmm. Like those kids, that's a punk band. They should be making sloppy ass punk music that is not good in any traditional sense. This music wasn't true to character. Right. This is the case for like, you look at graffiti in TV shows is always spelled correctly, mm -hmm. which is like what... <laughs> Like, like mundane, no, like notes that people leave to each other. Like, here's my grocery list. Most, I, I would, I would imagine the vast majority of people are going to misspell a word on that list, hmm. but, but they never do in TV shows. It's always perfect. And I really think this is like people, you know, the art is made by, tends to be made by perfectionists, especially art made professionally. Mm -hmm. And so they want everything in the show. They, they, they look at this note and they say, well, even if it's realistic to the character, then I guess in the same way that like no set of people in real life is that attractive. Mm. They they want everybody to be perfect and then have perfect spelling. Maybe they're worried that the flaws would be distracting. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but then like you get a band like Human Pudding, where the point of it is that they're bad. But the way that they make them bad is they give them bad lyrics. Uh-huh. The music is like fine. Yeah. And similarly, you look at something like uh, This is Spinal Tap, the, mm -hmm. the mockumentary mm -hmm. from 1984 about the fictional band Spinal Tap. Similarly, the music is pretty good, uh, but the lyrics are terrible. And I think it, there was a, a listening to an interview with one of the one of the actors slash creators who was saying, like, the point isn't that these guys are untalented. It's that they have bad taste. Mm -hmm. I, I think that combination like makes for a much more compelling media where like it's still good music. It's just the subject matter is in poor taste or a joke. Like you get the same thing with like um, Jack Black's work, like uh -huh. Jack, the band. He what's the name of the band? Tenacious D. 
Tenacious D, thank you. Like that stuff is like it's musically it's straightforward, flashy rock and roll, mm-hmm. and the lyrics are a joke, right? Oof. And and that contrast, like I think, heightens both the goof and the the music itself. Yeah. Uh, so it's really effective. But like, I really want to, like, I don't know if maybe maybe I would see this once and realize why nobody does it. I really want to see like music depict like no, this is just these musicians actually are bad at what they do. Like they're just bad musicians. Uh, I don't remember which show it was, but I've like been watching like various music anime where it's like about the kids forming a band. Yeah. And I remember in in one of the ones I watched being really impressed that the the person voice acting the singer like actually very convincingly did somebody who like doesn't know how to sing. Mm-hmm. Like not necessarily yeah. like is like completely untalented, but like their voice is rough. They're not like super great at like like getting on the note immediately. And just like a lot of things that like if I tried to sound like somebody who was like a bad singer and like hadn't trained that skill at all, I don't think I could fake it that well. Yeah, you would need a lot more control probably. Right. Mm-hmm. Or you could just hire somebody who actually is a bad singer. But they, they need the, the character to, you know, like develop her skill over the course oh, of the see. show. So. Yeah. so they get the, you hire the actor with the twin sister. <laughs> Who's great at singing. Right. Yeah. I, I think kind of what we're landing on is there's sort of two different avenues for depicting what these people are trying to depict as objectively bad art, which are incompetence and lack of creative direction, I guess. Mm-hmm. That like w- with the the example that we're talking about with human pudding, like as you mentioned, Jim, they're very competent. Like it, it was probably just sequenced on, I mean, yeah. whatever computers we, they would have used back then. But it doesn't have that artistic potential, uh, the creative view line of what what it is to, you know, try right. to make something like that. Right, right. And specifically, like, I, I my, my objection to that scene in particular is that those kids would be bad in a different way. Mm-hmm. Right. They would be incompetent, but you could maybe see artistic potential in them. Yeah, like the way that I was interpreting the scene when you, you showed the clip of it to me is that, like, what John Stamos is the guy. Yeah. He... he he just doesn't get it. Like these kids are actually a pretty good band, but he just doesn't <laughs> get what the kids are into these I days. I mean, th- that might, I watch, actually did watch this episode back in the day, which yeah. is why I thought of it. <laughs> but actually the reason I thought of it was that I had stumbled into, uh, this could be a topic itself. There's a website called the Fictitious Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which every <laughs> year inducts new fake bands into the Hall of Fame. So like Spinal Tap is in there. The wonders from that thing you do are in there. <laughs> And they have a pretty exhaustive list of here are all the bands that have been in TV and movies, but hmm. Human Pudding is not on there. And I want to write into the guy like, oh, you got to submit them for consideration. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, you see the kids reacting like they're very excited about this music, and you see John Stamos like, I can't, I can't believe this shit, mm-hmm. and. Like he had kind of has a bit in the in the dialogue to acknowledge that, like, okay, maybe I just don't get this. Mm. And I I would like to now look at the surrounding context from the episode to like say, like, well, okay, is this guy if like is he does he feel like he's out of touch or does he feel like it's the no, the the it's the children who are wrong? <laughs> right. What I also found surprising is this fictional band actually reminded me of a very real band that I remember from I think a little over a decade ago. Mm-hmm. When I was in college, I was very into like the kind of East Coast DIY music scene and a band that would 
pop up occasionally at various shows was uh, called Eyeball Skeleton, I believe. Uh, and I think it was a father and his two kids or like a father and one of his kids and a friend or something. But it was like, I believe, an eight year old, a 10 year old and a, a grown adult. Okay. And their music was, I'd say, pretty similar to to what they're kind of trying to do with uh with human pudding where there definitely wasn't a whole lot of substance to it but the point was like they were just kind of a fun band it was mm. hilarious to go to like you know a warehouse show and see these like kids playing okay music and mm-hmm. yeah there's another band they're still going actually but they're under a different name they were back then they were called smush <laughs> uh, which is funny because my band was also called Smush at the time, and I was yeah. very annoyed by this. The gimmick is that it was like three sisters or two or three sisters, depending on the era of the band you're looking at. Mm-hmm. And they were like, I don't know, I, I think they 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 played like one of the late night shows when they were like ten and twelve or something like that. And it was yeah, they're pretty good. Uh, and if they become commensurately talented adults, they'll have something. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the idea. They wanted to call they wanted to call themselves Smush. But apparently they went through several spellings of the word smush and nobody ever got it right. They were like smoosh or smush. <laughs> and I had this same like S-M-U-S-H was smush. Right. S-M-O-O-S-H was smoosh. Right. It's clearly smush. Mm-hmm. Come on, guy. I had the same problem with my band. Yeah. This is weird to me because like smoosh, I would say is a word like I, I've heard about somebody smooshing something, but I've never heard about somebody smushing something. Yeah. Right. Uh huh. Yeah. But also smooshing something is like when you say smooshing, isn't that the same as smooshing? Yeah, it's the same thing, but like it, it's a valid alternate pronunciation, whereas smush see. just isn't a word. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the problem is that like English has like a dozen vowels and it represents them with five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe there's some dialect out there that says smush that I'm disparaging right now. Yeah, and that, then in that case, the proper pronunciation of that band would be smush. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at eye- the Eyeball Skeleton Wikipedia page. Uh-huh. Their debut album, My Pal God, was released on My Pal God Records. Huh. Uh, oh, it's 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 it was uh there was a the the dad was a DJ. Okay. So he was already semi-famous musically. Uh-huh. And this was like, I think this was like a, a passion project for him. Right. Oh, well, this is also longer ago. They thought it was, I thought it was a decade ago. It was closer to 20 years ago. Oh, well, that happens to me all the time. <laughs> I, I was thinking that um, this all kind of uh, reminds me of, are you familiar with the, um, I forget who the artists were that did it, but the most wanted song and the most unwanted song. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's come up on the show. I've got the LP. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, uh, it's not within arm's reach or I'd show it to you. Not that the... Yeah. Not that the listening audience at home can hear it. I do recall it being brought up on the show before, but not to retread too much, but the fact that the most wanted song was kind of bland and the most unwanted song, while not great, was definitely more interesting. Much more interesting, yeah. Oh, yeah. I still occasionally will have, I don't know, like every year when Ramadan comes around, the little Ramadan jingle <laughs> will pop into my head. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that the premise of that, just to... Like for if you haven't heard that episode, we were discussing this. The premise of that work is that two, I guess, artist scientists and a musician got together and they did a survey, like a scientific survey where they polled people, like what elements of music do you like the most in music and what elements do you hate the most? And they took all the favorite stuff and they put it in the same song 
And it was this like it, this is this was from like 1995 or something like that. So this mm-hmm. is just this bland R&B track about love. Mm-hmm. And all the worst elements, they put those in the song. And that song is like 20 minutes long and has like an operatic singer, like an opera singer rapping about cowboy life while there's a banjo playing (laughs) and like a children's choir singing holiday jingles about Walmart about like, like commercial jingles. And it's, it's just this weird amalgam of all the different things you could hate. And I really, really want the version that's made in 2023 like what are the new trends the mm. new things in music that people hate and love the most yeah that would be interesting to see like they've got to auto-tune that opera singer oh man do you happen to remember when the the most wanted and unwanted songs were recorded i think it was the mid 90s okay Uh, because i feel like the 90s i guess this was towards the tail end of it but like there isn't quite as much of a monoculture as there was back then. I mean, that's true. I feel yeah. like the monoculture started splitting a lot in the, I guess, disco era. Hmm. But I think a problem that you would counter these days is that there is always going to be a a group of people that like some aspect of it. I guess that would that would have been true of the original piece too. Yeah. But um, uh, I also feel like there's a lot of music today that is much more embracing of the bizarre or discordant. Mm. Uh, yeah. I'm just thinking, like, if you tried to make, like, a pop song that was as abrasive and unlistenable as possible, you'd kind of reinvent hyper-pop. <laughs> or, like, man, I, I was just listening to the Beyonce track, Single Ladies. That's a weird fucking song. Like, really the backing is. track for that is so weird. heard a mashup with that it's just been jarring to realize that that's what's going on behind the singing that i just hadn't paid that much attention to yeah she actually has quite a few really like musically interesting songs uh i forget what the name of it but there's a beyonce single that i believe has at least two i want to say has three modulations in it Hmm. Uh uh-huh love on top was that the one you're thinking about uh it might be i just remember it ending several keys away from where it started yeah, that one. Like, if, if I'm, it's the one I'm thinking of. It really sounds like like she's gonna burst by the <laughs> end. Like when she's singing so high. But yeah, four key changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like the um, the Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers song theme song, <laughs> which just keeps going up. <laughs> which which implies to me like, and both of these songs imply to me like an alternate dimension where like they're 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 going up in key to this day. Like, like they, a, just, uh, they just kept going. I always, I don't like physical media now, but I always like the idea of releasing a song or an album on vinyl and just ending it with a locked groove that's a shepherd tone. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is why we don't get through the itinerary these days is that we just spent, what, half an hour talking about <laughs> human pudding. There's uh, a lot to say about human pudding. Great band. Elena, would you like to, or you're to switch topics rather. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, Elena, your topic is I got a van. I did. I did get a van. Uh, my birthday was just a few days ago. Uh, and it was actually a total coincidence that it happened then. But on my birthday, I went and I bought an old Sprinter van with oh, a, wow. uh, like a, a little kitchenette and a bed installed and some cabinets and stuff. Uh, so it's 
It's a full camper van inside this Sprinter. Happy birthday. Thank you. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about this as a, a birthday present. It's the biggest birthday present I've ever gotten. But I'm I'm looking forward to like getting it set up so that I can actually like do trips in it. Yeah, that's very cool. How many miles were on it when you bought it? Around a quarter of a million, but it's a diesel. Um, okay. So that actually like based on the research I was doing, it can like definitely have like twice as much mileage, no problem. And it might actually like go as far as a, a million. Like mm-hmm. it's wow. diesels go forever, apparently. So are you going to be like living full on hashtag van life? Maybe not anytime soon, but like maybe once I get it a little bit more set up and have like done a few like practice trips in it, maybe I'll decide to move in permanently. Mm-hmm. I think that um, van life has like kind of gotten to be like a much bigger thing lately than it used to be. And my my best guess is that now solar panels and batteries are like good enough that you can like realistically have like modern electricity in your van. Yeah. I mean, I would be more concerned with water. Like will you, so I was, I was making a joke when I was looking at your van about uh, the, uh, the Murphy toilet (laughs) idea of like you, you pull the toilet out of the wall and there it is. But like toilets and showers, I think are going to be the, the biggest deal. Yeah. Indoor plumbing is kind of huge and it does not have that. Like it, I mean, it has that little hand pump sink you saw, but that's it. Yeah. There are people who have, who do have like modern, like full plumbing in their vans. Like they have a shower and they have a toilet in there, but you need a a lot bigger of a van than I wanted to deal with. And it doesn't actually from, I don't know, the, the blogs and videos that I've seen sound like it is that big of an improvement on matters because it's still like kind of a shitty shower and a shitty toilet. Uh Right. So Yeah. yeah, I'm thinking I'll just like park outside of a friend's house who has a shower and a toilet and ask if I can use theirs. Some nights I get up to pee like four or five times. Oh, you could pee in a jar. That's true. I totally, I totally could do that. My wife wouldn't allow it. Oh, well, see, uh, I don't but, have a wife. Right. There you go. I was just imagining like, you know, at, at midnight and 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. and 6 a.m. You're like putting your nightgown on and walking across Running the yard, across the yeah. unlocking the front door. And yeah, no, I'm, I'm hoping that I can avoid that. People don't like it when people are sleeping in in vehicles in their neighborhood. Yeah, I I think that my neighborhood is like more friendly to this than probably most are. That may be true. Uh, Just because like since I started considering this idea um, a while ago, I started just keeping an eye out for what kind of vans like were livable and what modifications I could see to them and stuff. And I started noticing as I was like going around Berkeley and Oakland, like... There's a lot of them, actually. Like, once you know, like, oh, okay, this particular vent fan is, like, the one that everybody who lives in a van, that's their vent fan. Wow. You can notice it on top of these vans. And, like, there's some other stuff, like, if the van has an awning or, like, the the roof-mounted AC unit or, like, various other things, solar panels, then you're like, okay, that's probably a van somebody lives in. There's, like, a bunch of them. There's, like, two that park on my block and also a miniature school bus. Oh, like a schoolie? Yeah, um, it's like a, the, the short bus and it's painted white and they have like a, a fucking propane tank mounted in a cage on the outside of it. Hmm. And like I've seen people going in and out of it. They seem like they're living there. Yeah. And like I when I was visiting my friends a while ago, I noticed that there was a van parked on their block when I when my choir had its concert and I was pulling into the parking lot for the, the venue. There was a full size school bus with like 
some kids living in it. I assume they had parents, but the kids <laughs> were the ones I noticed. Um, but like I could see the shore power cable going from this school bus parked in the back of the parking lot to the building. Yeah. And so I like I think that at least in my area, it's not uncommon. Probably there are areas where like people would hassle you, but I think probably I could get away with it where I am. I know a lot of people that do the kind of van life thing and yeah. do a lot of traveling with it, just stay in uh, Walmart parking lots because mm-hmm. they allow like trucks and campers to stay there. Right. It it sounds like you're in a pretty urban area. I'm kind of curious if the solution for like, if you were to do more travel is to just mostly camp at places like Walmarts or places where it's specifically designated where people can park RVs or campers or vans. Yeah, I think that like some of it is like planning on like parking at friends' houses or planning at parking, like you said, like in a Walmart parking lot or places where it's like generally accepted. And there are places where like you can park your camper here is like it's camper park parking. Mm. But like I think that there's also like some amount of like I can scope out a place and see like does it seem like it will be all right? Um and also a lot of what I'm planning on using it for is like more campy camping. So like then if you're in the middle of nowhere, you can kind of just have your van there and probably nobody's going to hassle you. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I have to say, like, I would not choose this life with a (laughs) wife and a kid and like April would never stand for it. I bet Winston would be okay with it. But whenever I see people like doing like hashtag van life with kids, it looks so much harder. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, like just. Also, life with kids is so much harder. True. <laughs> like hashtag no car life with kids is is incredibly hard. Oof. But I I lived the no car life for decades. Mm-hmm. It was fine by myself. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but kids need a lot of support in ways that are a little bit harder to like accommodate in alternative fashions. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like the the school we send Winston to. Mm-hmm. And this is a this is a private school. This is a Montessori school. He's not like public school age yet anyway. Yeah. But you need a phone to check him in and out. Like you right. need a smartphone with an app. Huh. Wow. That's like maybe like they would accommodate you if you didn't have this stuff, but I don't I don't know. Yeah, no, there's like a lot of stuff these days that like you you have to have like access to modern technology or you just can't. Like there's more and more places where like you can't pay for it unless you right, have right. You can't like pay for parking without a smartphone mm-hmm. app. Right. <laughs> I, I feel like where this is kind of going is the fact that van life kind of has two directions where people arrive at it, which is either people that have kind of like the privilege and the ability to go in this direction or mm-hmm. people that don't and are essentially unhoused and are right. almost forced to live out, out of a vehicle. I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that definitely is like, there's like this kind of like bimodal distribution. Um, And when I was trying to do research on it, like it was really difficult for me to find something that would be like affordable and workable for me because I like don't have a reliable income and like various parts of my life are like in flux at different times. Um, And I'm looking at like all of these like blog posts and like YouTube videos and Instagram photos or whatever of these people with their like $150,000 vans that have like a tiled backsplash behind the little kitchenette and stuff and like gorgeous wood paneling. And I don't like, it's all super fancy, like smart home inside and being like, okay, but there's no way I could have something that nice. 
So I was like trying to think of like, okay, what is like the minimum viable van? Like maybe I just like buy one that's like set up for cargo. It's like had the, the seats in the back ripped out and I just like put a bed frame in it. And then you, it's a van you can sleep in. Like mo- I bet a lot of vans, you could just put a mattress in the back. Yeah. Yeah. You can fit a mattress in almost any van. How much did you end up paying for the one you have? Just, a, just over 30 K. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, and it's already converted, which is like a big deal for me because right. a lot of the vans that I was looking at were that much without even being converted yet. And I would have to DIY it and it right. would be super expensive on top of that. Mm-hmm. But this one was like uh, previously owned and the, the pre- previous owner converted it and yeah. did a really gorgeous job. It's like an old model van, but it's you know still running strong. And it had like basically just the basic amenities that I, I really cared about and nothing else. Yeah. Yeah, good find. Yeah, I was pretty excited. There's something about the Bay Area that I think drives people of every class to do this. Mm. I remember reading about a Google programmer who like decided I'm just going to live in the parking lot, the Google yeah. parking lot. And I think part of it is that like rent is kind of expensive no matter how wealthy you are. Like Yeah. If you're wealthy, it's like a little bit less of a pain to be paying that much for rent, but it's still a lot. Right. Okay. So that, the idea of not having a landlord is pretty appealing, kind of no matter what. There's, there's also the situation of like, the Bay Area is full of Mexican food. Mm-hmm. Where are all the Mexicans living? Like people who teach in the schools, right? Like Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Every every Basically every one of Winston's teachers is Mexican. Uh-huh. And like, I've actually, you know, in, in, in my personal life, I've met a few of these people and the way they, the way it works is they just live like six people to a bedroom Yeah, and they don't like it. <laughs> it's not fun to live that packed in a house. Right. And like, I mean, even like the people I know who are like high earning programmers or whatever, they're still living in like a group house with a huge pile of people in it. Right. They just ha- It's like slightly nicer set up than... You know, they each have their own closet-sized room rather than all being in the same one. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then I would be fine with that too. I, I've I've seen people's living setups where they like it's one big communal house. Everybody has a private space. It's not a huge space, but mm-hmm. it's enough. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that can work fine for people. But again, like you can't have a kid or a wife like that. Yeah, it becomes a lot harder when you start introducing children to the equation. Right. Also, the place I'm thinking of was it was definitely not legal. <laughs> like the, the, in terms of zoning or right. construction permits. Mm-hmm. We're, and we're talking about the Bay Area, but I remember about a decade ago, I had a friend that lived in Brooklyn that mm-hmm. I think lived in a house that was supposed to house maybe three people. And I believe they were one of 11 that lived there. Yeah. So this definitely happens in a lot of like urban areas. Yeah, for sure. I think it's just like, the, the sorts of like conditions that people are like willing to live in and can afford to live in are like actually just a lot less than what like developers will build or that like what historically was built and is just is still around today. Uh-huh. Like, I think, you know, like somebody who is building a house or building an apartment building is generally thinking about it from the perspective of that like wife and kids angle where you're like, okay, could a family live in this environment rather than like, could, you know, a single programmer or musician or whatever live in this environment where you have kind of different needs and priorities. Mm. Yeah. Like I know a lot of people who would like love if there were buildings that were designed like more dorm style where there's like a big communal kitchen, but like a lots of small bedrooms and you just don't get that unless you're living on a campus. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think like a bunch of stuff like that, it was actually illegal. Come to think of it. I remember 
I'm trying to remember what it's called, but like it used to be like, what was it like boarding houses or something? Like historically, like if you read like a novel from like the 1800s or whatever, anytime somebody like goes to the big city and they like, they find accommodations to stay at, it's like some kind of a dorm style house where like everybody has like their own bedroom, but there's like kind of like a communal, like living kitchen area. And there's like usually like a landlady who like cooks for everybody in the 1800s or whatever. I forget what the, I think that was a boarding house, but I don't remember what it's called. But like, I think they, they literally outlawed those at some point because it was like, there's too many like single men being rowdy in them. (laughs) Yeah. That wouldn't surprise me. I I stayed at that place like that in, uh, in Berlin when I went to a maze. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, it was like, I I even had a, a roommate. It was like a, hotel i th- i think we had a bathroom uh-huh. but i've also stayed at hotels in europe that, that, that we where i did not have a bathroom right but then there was also like they serve you food you know mm-hmm. and it wasn't good food sure it was clearly like cheap student food uh-huh. the reason like the, the the event organizers paid for my stay and i'm pretty mm-hmm. sure the reason they put me there was that it was incredibly cheap yeah no like when i'm traveling i'll stay in hostels and they're kind of like that but you can't get a long-term stay in a hostel typically oh you think that maybe that's the that's the law is that like hostels can exist but you can't stay in them long enough to be rowdy i i think i don't i i don't know enough about housing law to be sure on this sure, but sure. i think like you couldn't like get like a year-long lease or whatever on a room in a hostel right there's a movie called the florida project uh-huh. which i actually really recommend i thought it was incredible it's mostly about the kids living in a motel in the outskirts of Orlando. Yeah. And they're like, we're talking, we're talking like six-year-olds. And it's really like, I really liked the way they, they depicted these kids. It was extremely naturalistic. Like this is what, this is how kids talk and act. And it mm. was a delight. And also like well, how their parents are dealing with the situation, which is not always great. But there's a, there's a, one of the events in the movie mm-hmm. uh, is that they have to move out of the motel they're living in and into the one across the street just for mm-hmm. a day because so that their stay doesn't become too long. Right. So they don't mm-hmm. become tenants yeah. legally and have rights. Yeah. And I mean, like this is like a similar sort of situation to like gig workers, right? Like there's a certain threshold of hours that you work for somebody that now you're an employee and they like are you're they're required to treat you better. Yeah. And, and like similarly, there's a certain amount of hours you can or I guess days probably you can live in a place before you become a tenant and then your tenants' rights kick in. And people get caught in this kind of like weird limbo situation where like they can't really manage to like get that, like the full level first class citizen, you're a tenant, you're an employee and their, their landlord or their, their boss, like doesn't want to hire them on that much or keep them around that long, but they still need housing. They still need an income. Uh Right. Right. And the boss still needs that work done. Right. I'm also curious if squatting laws could also come into play where oh maybe, I'm not sure if squatting only applies to abandoned places. I don't think it does. No, yeah. I think you can squat even in a, a place that like is maintained and people live in it. But I don't mm-hmm. remember what the rules are. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the rules in California are like something like if the owner knows you're there for a year and doesn't kick you out, then you just now you own the place or something like that. <laughs> it's like common law marriage, which California does not have, to my knowledge. So I think I think that there you there's like two things that you're combining okay maybe. there's this squatters rights thing where like once you've been in a place long enough and i you might be right about the like and they know you're there then and they don't do anything about it then you have like you start you get tenants rights or something but there's another thing where like if you 
live in a property and maintain it and like it is known that you live there and the legal owner doesn't do anything about it that then you can like like say this this property is mine now but that's a different yeah that thing. sounds right you have to do work on it yeah there was i believe uh a tiktok channel that uh got some popularity a couple months ago that was someone squatting in a like multi-million dollar florida mansion oh wow there, there's some sort of interesting commentary there about the wealth gap of someone that can't afford a house squatting in a mansion that was probably abandoned by someone else that couldn't afford the house. <laughs> right. But as far as I know, like they, their squatting was determined to be like completely legal and all enough they like technically own this place, but it seems pretty nice to be able to. Yeah. No, if nobody's using that house, yeah. it's a nice house. Are we uh, ready for another topic? Sure. Sure. Well, your topic is corporate art from industrial musicals of the 50s to 70s to this Staples logo unveiling. And there's a link that will go in the show notes. So, yeah, right before recording, the three of us watched this Staples logo unveiling, which I guess to describe for listeners, imagine if E3 was still a thing and Staples announced that they were going to be presenting at E3. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So the the actual logo is very similar to the previous logo. It's just a staple and the word staples. Mm-hmm. Uh, still probably cost them a ton of money to make. But there's this multi-screen massive video that was produced for it. Uh, it's way overly dramatic. And then once they actually unveil the logo, then there's like uh, a curtain that moves aside so that there's like a giant 3D version of uh, of the logo for people to see. And I'm not sure where this recording originally took place. I imagine some sort of internal corporate shareholder meeting or just employee meeting or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it reminded me of, are, are either of you familiar with uh, the idea of like uh, the industrial musical? Yeah. I don't think so. This is something that one of my friends introduced me to a couple of years ago. There's a, a, actually a documentary. I forget the name of it off the top of my head, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, has a lot of information about this idea of the industrial musical, which is something from, I believe, mostly the 50s and 70s, which were uh, massive companies would hire actual uh, like composers and writers, uh, people that did work either on or off Broadway, yeah. uh, to make musicals just for employees, uh, full-scaled, like relatively high-budget stage oh. performances, but they weren't advertisements they weren't for people to view it was just kind of for to promote company culture uh there's actually a bunch of uh songs from them on uh on various streaming services so if you want to just like listen to songs about like frigid air oh my god i'm so curious um it it's extremely fascinating and uh i've always found just you know obviously advertisements are the form of corporate art that is the one that's most thrown into our faces all the time sure so i think it's even more interesting that there are still events like these where corporations that just make and have way too much money can put on these extremely extravagant displays of their money and power Mm -hmm. uh and in, in a way that's like different from you know uh, a, a big tech company hiring two chains to play their holiday party because <laughs> that's just you know kind of buying someone you know p- paying money to to mm-hmm. get a celebrity to show up but paying video artists and composers to create these 
massive lavish displays of brand awareness i think yeah. it's just incredibly fascinating yeah um, and yeah they, they weren't shown in the public and they were kind of never really supposed to be this thing that people knew or discussed about i think that's why they're still so unknown despite yeah. being something that was so common at one point yeah yeah you you get similar things where like i have i don't know of a, a modern example i guess the staples one is the closest thing but um i remember finding a bunch of like corporate anthems in the early aughts mm. and it was just like here's a a, a pop slash rock song singing about all the things that infogrames has done <laughs> like all the all the games they've released an older example is like the um the ibm corporate anthem that was apparently i, I think you were supposed to sing along to it oh as my god <laughs> but the thing that came to mind as you were talking was um i think something like 20 years ago prince hired kevin smith to do a documentary about him <laughs> and like he, he did it he made the whole documentary and, and and delivered it and was later like hey what happened to that documentary i made made some phone calls and they were like oh yeah prince loved it Mm-hmm. And that's it. He just wanted to see it. Yeah. He just, he just wanted his own documentary for, for his own benefit. It's it's like the, I don't know, like the the like kind of medieval stereotype concept of like a bard that's just there to like glorify the king, like the king's minstrel or whatever. Right. Like they just sit there and sing about how great the king is to the king, right? Right, right, right. And so I, I just did a search for this and apparently, yeah, it was it's from 2001. And there was a bunch of articles six months ago saying about how it might be finally released. <laughs> well, I remember from Kevin Smith's telling of that story, I think from the first An Evening with Kevin Smith uh, of film, I guess, mm-hmm. um, I, I believe he said that uh, Prince had, uh, had just like archives of unreleased albums, unreleased yeah. videos. Yeah. So like there's a chance that this wasn't entirely for his own benefit. It was, I think, something that he wanted to have in the archives so that like his relatives for generations could still release unreleased print like original prints right because his death was unexpected like i don't think this stuff was covered in a will or anything like that Mm -hmm. the other part of that i recall is i believe that conversation started because kevin smith went to prince because he wanted to use a prince song in a movie Mm -hmm. prince turned him down and then asked him to make this documentary he did the entire documentary and then prince still wouldn't let kevin smith use a song in a movie Wow. I'm pretty sure he got paid for the documentary, at least. Probably. <laughs> One hopes. But yeah, like, like Prince was a incredible talent and an incredible workaholic. So it does not surprise me at all that there are just thousands of unreleased songs that are probably like, I, I bet we'll see them eventually. Mm-hmm. But I, I th- think they're going to be, if, if it hasn't started to happen already, like we're going to, it's going to take a lot of legal wrangling to get them out into the public. Yeah. But it's still like kind of a different thing to have like, a, a person like commissioning art for their own consumption versus like a company yeah. commissioning art for like its employees consumption. Cause it's still, that's like it, it's in a way one entity, but it's also multiple because like the people commissioning the art are totally different people from the rest of the like people watching it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I worked at Amazon, like I had to like do a bunch of extra work ahead of time and then I got to hear about the results, but I wasn't like, a cool enough Amazon employee because I was a contract worker to like go to the big Amazon expo for Amazon people. But like, I got the impression that there was like kind of like these big things. And I think I've heard like people who work at Google talk about like Google having a similar like intra Google expo where like people who like 
who are working on different teams within the company, like show up to like show off what they've been working on and like present their newest prototypes and like hype it up to each other within the company kind of thing. Yeah. And like, that's the, the sort of place I could see this sort of thing going. I remember at Amazon, actually, at one point, my, so my team was mostly a data collection team, but at some point, for some reason, and I still have no idea what this was used for. Like it was my boss used it in a, a meeting with some people for some reason. But at one point, she was like, hey, I need you guys to like film and edit together like a funny video about what we do in our lab. Mm. And so like I like I was like the team lead for this. And so I like I got like all my coworkers to like sit down and talk about stuff for a bit. And then like we made like a funny bit about like the little like Alexa prototype that we were working with. Like we had like a, a thing that we could make it say whatever we wanted. So we were like, help, I'm trapped in the lab. They're doing experiments on me sort of thing. Mm. Um, and like, then I just edited it together into like the sort of reality TV show sort of deal that I thought was pretty funny and which I will never see that work again because it's owned by Amazon and was used in one meeting with mystery people for mystery purposes. I guess that's also kind of similar to uh, like, training videos in like mm. retail and other things like right. that. I, I remember watching a bunch of like loss prevention videos where I work for a bookstore and there's also a bunch of like very good old Wendy's training videos. Uh-huh. Uh they're available on YouTube. I don't know if you've seen them. They're uh, Yeah. And sometimes you get weird things like there is that KFC VR training app that they made. <laughs> and then like I think they actually deliberately released it to the public and it's this dystopian like colonel sanders instructing you on how to make the chicken but i'm pretty <laughs> sure they just use the for the actual employees they just actually just tell you how to make the chicken yeah you know well, there, there was also the mcdonald's ds training yeah app uh which i think there were even like special mcdonald's branded ds's that they made to distribute to stores or things uh, I feel like I should know more about this. I live not that far from Hamburger University, which I assume is where this all comes out of. Uh-huh. <laughs> this sort of art just like exists in such a weird space for art too. Yeah. Going back a a, a, a few minutes, I mm-hmm. was just thinking that for all the unreleased print stuff, mm-hmm. I really hope there's just like a thousand unreleased print songs, but all of them are just versions of the song 1999, but for every year from 2000 <laughs> to 2999. Oh, that would be amazing. Are we uh, ready for another topic? Yeah, sure. Oh, uh, one, mm-hmm. one more thing. Oh, yeah. I, I found it. Um, the documentary on industrial musical uh, musicals is called Bathtubs Over Broadway. Bathtubs Over Broadway. All right. I got to check that out. It's a good name for anything. Yeah, might might call that this podcast episode that. <laughs> Another thing I thought of is that when we were talking about the training videos, like one of Jonathan Colton's thing of weeks or something, there's like the the song Bacteria that he did, which is just like remixing some training video, but it's all oh. about like how bacteria, like food safety, hmm. right? Yeah. And now I'm like wondering like how much derivative art there is of this sort of like corporate industrial art. Like, do people go to the, like the bathtub musical and get something stuck in their head and be like i gotta do something with that yeah and well and when it's your job to make art and you don't want to write about the same thing every time like you'll take inspiration from anywhere <laughs> like i remember there was this there's this ween, ween song that was supposedly based on like a letter about a party like from from like the the 19th century that yeah. someone had like written to thank <laughs> i mean i know the, and I, I know the song i'm talking about but i i i remember seeing this letter once 
Uh-huh. I, I'm not sure if I've hallucinated it. So uh, this may be an example of this that I just made up in my head. Hmm. But I remember seeing this letter at one point that if the Ween song was supposedly based on. Yeah. Anyway. Sounds similar to uh, the Beatles being for the benefit of Mr. Kite was apparently based yeah. on a circus advertisement. And oh, I think yeah. I've seen recreations of what people think it will have looked like. But oh, wow. I don't know if anyone actually knows like what the original was. Man. Right, right. By comparison, paperback writer, mm-hmm. you can see it, it takes the form of a letter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you look at like the lyrics, it's signed, which doesn't show up in the song. But I'm pretty sure they just wrote that. Like, uh-huh. I don't think they found it or anything like that. Uh, so let's do this poem. Yeah, let's. Lamentation upon surveying the destruction of a battlefield by uh, Everett Patterson, CC06, which I guess is a year. Yeah, probably. Uh, who would like to read this poem? I could read it. Okay. Oh, Ares, cruelest of the gods. Are man and thee somehow at odds? That thou this curse of war should reign upon these men before me lain? O Zeus, O Jupiter on high, that thou should let our young men die. And Hermes, swift as lightning struck, it's not your fault, but you still suck. Judeo-Christian god, you too, don't think I've forgotten you. Betrayed us, whom we once did praise, so don't start up with your mysterious ways. O death, O death, O deathy death! that thou should snatch this soldier's breath. Thou hast with bony fingers stung the diaphragm beneath the lung. Nay, never shall they breathe no more, nor beat their heart at bosom's core. Their brains, no waves, their veins, no pulses, and in their esophagi, no peristalsis. O vocative, o vocative, not nominative or locative, that I to distant concepts cry, to abstract nouns personified. O letter, O, most foul vowel, that thou should be the sound I howl, instead of ah, or ooh, or I. But no, it's O, and sometimes why? Why, ye gods of Rome and Greece, shall war and horror never cease? O ye Roman gods and Greek, that I in the subjunctive mood should speak. I am I'm moved. Mm-hmm. I am moved by this work. It's, it's moving. Do you think peristalsis rhymes with pulses? a little bit of a stretch okay peristalsis maybe pulses pulses i yeah it's a little it's a little bit of a stretch that's the line that made me glad that you were reading it not i (laughs) (laughs) oh actually that line and also i forgot that there's a god named hermes and i just thought of hermes the weather company (laughs) (laughs) swift as lightning struck (laughs) him to the the company yeah so this says this was uh the winner of something do you happen to know what the contest was i don't really i think it was like a bad poetry contest of some kind but i don't know much more details than that i got this by way of a friend who brought it to a poetry night that we were doing and read it and i don't know how they came across it or exactly what it was written for okay i found it it's the alfred joyce kilmer memorial bad poetry contest oh yeah and that was the winner from 2005. But it was dated 06. I think that's the when that person graduates, is my oh, guess. Okay, yeah. I guess if I scroll down to the runners-up, there's one in 08 and 09. Yeah. So, all right. So this is this is like kind of like the, the little litten contest, but with poetry. Yes, yeah. It seems like it's a similar idea. This also reminds me of just the first topic we were talking about, where this is very clearly a competent poem. Yeah. Yeah. 
like it, it they use poetic devices they you know have solid rhyme and meter and they're just being silly mm-hmm. and like they, it's got that contrast between like the like deeply serious topic of like dying soldiers in war and like the grief of loss for them and then like the the tone that they're taking about it right yeah also, just scrolling through some of the runners-up in mm-hmm. this particular year's entries, it seems like several, like quite a few people wrote similar, uh, similarly meta poems, like poems about poetry, huh. um, or at least some of them have lines about the fact that they are poems or the fact that they are writing poems. I think the most blatant one, Untitled, uh, which was the third runner-up, uh-huh. uh, Girl from Nantucket. Tired of your crap limericks. Prefers haiku, thanks. <laughs> it makes me wonder if this whole contest, on top of being a bad poetry contest, is also trying to do something, uh, I guess, almost postmodern with deconstructing what makes a good or bad poem or uh, what makes something a poem in general. I, I wonder if it's like the contest in particular is trying to do that or if it's just like the kind of like, headspace you get into as an artist when you're trying to create bad art is like you start asking yourself like what does it what is bad art what does it mean to create bad art and then your inspiration kind of becomes that rather than making art that's just straightforwardly bad about some other thing right like i remember um like going back to the little litten contest one of the things that like uh adam cadre like analyzes in is in his little like commentary on each of the entries is like the way in which it is bad yeah, that stuff's super interesting to me. Yeah. And it's also very, it's very personal. So like the way it yeah. was bad to him. Yeah, but I that's still wish I could see like what the, whatever the judges for this contest were, like why they decided that this was a bad poem, like a good example of a bad poem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because I feel like they wouldn't pick a just bad poem. It has to, as you said, a good example of a bad poem, which essentially means good at being bad. Yeah. And like now I'm thinking about like, I don't know, like the like cult classic films or whatever that you it's it's so bad it's good sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like and ones that are like intentionally hitting that versus not trying to hit that, but hitting it anyway. Like there was uh, a time when like some friends of mine were doing like a bad movie night for a while. And like so like when we get together and watch some movie that was like supposed to be a bad movie and like some of them, oh, I, Sharknado or whatever. It's like it's a bad movie, but it's like not bad in like they're they're competent at movie making it's just a ridiculous premise right whereas um birdemic like they they actually are just incompetent at making movies in ways that you just take for granted are things that with a movie would normally have like the sound editing or like you know like the pacing of the opening credits or like the the way they do special effects is like they have like a little an animated gif of a bird that is like extremely obviously photoshopped in like coming in over the screen or something <laughs> but it's treated with utmost seriousness it's not like they thought they knew that this was silly that they were doing it it's like they actually just don't know how to do sound editing or special effects wasn't birdemic supposed to be like an environmentalist movie i don't actually remember what the moral was but quite possibly i, I don't know if it was like global warming or something like that it's been years since i I don't think I've ever seen the entirety of it, but I recall there being some sort of like some sort of message that they're trying to convey. I'm curious if that had something to do with them kind of forgoing uh, caring about filmmaking to try to get a some sort of message across. 
That being said, it pro- by being incompetent, it probably became much more well known than what if if it was just competent and bad. I mean, that's that's possible, but like, yeah, there's nothing more boring than a like a fully mediocre movie. Mm-hmm. Again, like I've never seen a bad movie be bad in like the way it does its sound mixing, where like things just don't sound right. Mm-hmm. So I I have seen examples of this. So for example, uh, in the movie. Um, Mystic River. Mm-hmm. It was directed by Clint Eastwood and it was scored by Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. And he's not a good musician, apparently. <laughs> but because he's the director, he has say on who what's what the score sounds like. Right. And it sounds like a fucking clown photobombing the movie. <laughs> to me, anyway, as someone who like who pays attention to that sort of thing. Right. And like I, I think you see examples of this in like in situations like that or like situations of nepotism uh-huh uh-huh yeah where like maybe most of the crew is is trying their sincere best and maybe like this person is also trying their sincere best but they were brought on for different reasons or something yeah and they didn't have time to fix it yeah yeah mm-hmm. and that's all the time we have for topic lords all right uh quill if this is something that you want where can people find you on the internet yeah so uh if you uh find me uh not on the internet but in person at this year's e3 i'm gonna be manning this the staples booth so swing by <laughs> check out what we're showing off there is it is it staples no not at all no okay all right wow staples is really going meta twist ending uh and elena if this is something that you want where can people find you on the internet as always, I, I am on Discord. I am on many Discord servers, including the Topic Lords Discord server. You can probably find me in one of those. All right. Thanks so much for being on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.